What's up? You okay? I'm just exhausted. Work's been so stressful. My dad is sick again. I just, I don't know. Dude, dude, she needs some encouragement. Oh, don't say that. Look, I know it's been tough, but you've been doing so well. I just don't feel that way. Let me explain. Whoa. What just happened? Anytime she's about to explain something to me, I try to think of the quickest way to solve the problem. Do you really think that's a good idea? Yeah, trust me, it works every time. And you are always a big part of it. All right, check it out. Your wife needs some solid advice. What does the Bible say about this kind of stuff? Well, I know that God can handle anything, and God is for us. Wait a minute, I've got it. Last week. You know, babe, God will never give you more than you can handle. Anyway, I'm going to go meet up with the guys. Love you. Bye. What's with the hell? I did not even say that. I just can't do it anymore. I have nothing left. Between the divorce, the cancer, your mom dying and being laid off, I know it feels like you're going through a lot. <laughs> Believe me, I have been there. Just remember, when God closes a door... He opens a window. And never forget, God never gives you more than you can handle. God never said that. Oh, I've got another one if you want to take a shot. Yeah, they come as a pair. Bring it. Welcome to Mantras. We're on the home stretch. We're on number two. We did a poll to get people to submit things they hear often said, words of comfort, words of empowerment, words of encouragement, popular phrases in our culture, and then they voted on those things that were submitted. And this one took second place. But before we read it, I just want to go through a little trivia with you. What good is this? Well, you might win a game of trivia. Here's some popular quotes that are not accurate. But people believe, for some reason in our culture, that they really are true. Who's read any Sherlock Holmes stories? Have you heard the line, it's elementary, my dear Watson? In Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's books, he never wrote Sherlock as, as saying that exactly. Who has seen Casablanca? You've heard the line to the piano player, play it again, Sam. Never spoken Exactly like that in the movies. And yet it's quoted as being so. How about Dragnet, popular series in the 50s, where Friday says, just the facts, ma'am. He never said that exactly like that. Yet it's quoted as being true. How about Star Wars, where Darth Vader says, Luke, I'm your father. He never said that. Luke was grieving the loss of his father, and Darth said, I'm your father. But never, Luke, I'm your father. How about Star Trek? Beam me up, Scotty. Who's, who thinks that actually happened in Star Trek? Those exact words were never said. How about when God closes a door, he opens a window? Not in the Bible, 
God never said that. And what does that mean anyway? What if the window's on the 13th floor? <laughs> Today's mantra is, God won't give you more than you can handle. Can you tell somebody that? Now, apologize to them. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means God's promising you a rose garden and everything's going to be easy. Well, if he did promise a rose garden, roses got thorns, so it's not perfect anyway. What does it mean? If you're not able to handle your life's trials, something's wrong with you, you're not connected with God, you ought to buck up, Billy boy, and get this thing going. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Something must be wrong with me. What a horrible thing to say to somebody that's suffering, and people do it all the time thinking it's in the Bible. Somebody just got horrible news or, or got a bad report. God won't give you more than you can handle. On the way to church today, I got a call from Candace and Raymond Evart. Their godson, it's a young man I haven't met. He's a senior in high school. His name's Aaron. He was in a car wreck. One of his vertebrae is broken. They're having surgery today at noon. They asked us to pray for him. And I want to do that in a moment. But what a horrible thing to say. Go to greet the young man. Hey, God won't give you more than you can handle. What? Let's just pray for him right now. Lord, we just extend our hands towards Fort Worth Harris Methodist Hospital. Lord, we ask you to give the surgeons wisdom. Lord, may they not make any mistakes. Give them accurate diagnoses. Lord, protect them from misdiagnoses. And Lord, we ask that you would raise them up strong for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Where does this phrase come from? In a minute, we're going to look at a verse that people think it came from, and we'll see how it actually didn't come from that. But God won't give you more than he can handle. actually comes from the Koran. I discovered about eight English translations, and this is the most modern translation. Listen to this. Chapter 2 of the Koran, or Surah 2, the second Surah, verse 286, begins with these words. God does not burden any human being with more than he is well able to bear. Islam has crept into the church. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14 of 1 Corinthians 10. The context is Paul is talking about the children of Israel, Jacob's children, Jacob's descendants, who've been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and they get delivered, and they make this trek across the wilderness to get to the promised land. It takes them 40 years, lots of trials, lots of obstacles, lots of temptation. Wherever they turned to God for help, he would bring deliverance in many unique forms. And they all point to Jesus because he is our escape. He is our deliverance. Uh, when they came to waters that were poisoned, they cut a tree down, cast it in the waters. It healed the waters. What does that sound like? The Lord's life was cut down. He was hung on a tree. And through his death, we receive life. We've drunk the poison of sin, and now we've got the uh, antidote of the life of Christ.
They were hungry, needed bread, needed food. Manna came down from heaven. Jesus declared himself to be the bread that comes down from heaven. That's a whole nother sermon. On other occasions, when they didn't cry out to God for help and they complained and yielded to temptation to sin, all sorts of other bad things happened to them. Verse 11 says, now all these things happen to them as examples. You know, experience isn't the best teacher. The experienced are the best teachers. You want some answers? Look for someone with some gray hair or no hair. Why should you have to go to the school of hard knocks if somebody else has? They can save you. The world will hurt. And your life can be on their shoulders and not having to walk through the same path. All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. So they didn't just happen, but they were written. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're blessed to have the Bible. We're blessed to live in the era in which we live. Therefore, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Pride comes before a fall. Haughty spirit before what? Before destruction. So we need humility in this thing. We need a teachable spirit to live life and pursue the will of God. Self-reliance isn't good. You're going to bump into some problems. Now, here is where this statement, God won't give you more than you can handle, is thought to come from. But we'll see how it doesn't. Let me just read verse 13 as a whole. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. There it is. The first half of 1 Corinthians 10.13. God won't give you more than you can handle. No. This is not talking about obstacles in life, hardships. This is talking about temptation to sin. Stuff like lust and greed and envy and jealousy. You have to say it's spooky because it's just evil. Got to root it out. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. When you're tempted with evil, don't think, I'm the only one. You're not. I married the wrong person. You're not the first person to think that. You know, that's one lie Adam and Eve couldn't tell each other. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now, don't stop there. Here's how he does it. How does he do it? But with the temptation, he doesn't tempt us. He doesn't tempt man with evil. James, the brother of Christ, wrote it. With the temptation will also make a way of escape. He'll make sure there's a door somewhere for you to get out. That you may be able to bear it. Make sure there's a way of escape. Joseph's tempted by his boss's wife. I won't tell nobody. Let's have some fun. His way out was to leave the coat behind and run. David had a way of escape from his temptation. Go to war like other kings do. 
don't get up on your roof and know your neighbor's gone so you can eyeball his wife. With every temptation, there's ways of escape. If you find yourself trapped in a scenario where you know the temptation's going to be there, get away from it. Look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The bottom line of sin, all sin, is idolatry. It's putting yourself first, putting yourself ahead of God's will, putting yourself ahead of the well-being of other people. Idolatry. Bowing down to something other than God. It's temptation. People will risk God's blessings in their life to fulfill some lust they have. That's idolatry. Run from it. Run. Don't stand there. I'm strong. I'm going to fight it. No, run. Run, Forrest. Run. Get with the program and get out. Don't stand there and argue with those things that tempt you. There's things that tempt me. And in advance of being tempted, I have a battle plan. The way of escape for me with Internet temptation is a program called Covenant Eyes. I pay some money each year, and they keep track of everything I do online and mail, email, week reports to a close friend who keeps me accountable. And my phone is locked down. I don't surf on it. I can't surf on it. I have apps that use the Internet for accessing information, but I can't surf on it because I don't have any apps that are surfable. The church has an app. I don't. The pastor doesn't have one on his phone. And I help design the app. Not that I'm an app designer, but I determine how I wanted it structured and the pictures and all that because I believe it's important for the church to have an app. But I don't have one on my phone because you can surf through it. It's got a Facebook connection. Why? Because I know I have weaknesses. And so with every temptation, there's a way of escape. So the escape for me is to keep the app store turned off. And if I need to update stuff, I go to Pastor Shake. He's got the code. He unlocks the app store. I do my business and hand it right back to him. He locks it back down. I walk in freedom. Well, I don't know if I can go to a church with a pastor so weak. Well, go find one. He may find one stronger, but I'm telling you, he's going to be tempted with stuff too. You're tempted with stuff. We're lying to folks when we tell them, you get saved, you'll never be tempted. Temptation's not a devil. Temptation is our flesh. We're all born with a propensity to sin and appetites for things that are not the will of God. Then we are all called to repent and turn from our wicked ways and pursue the will of God, which includes looking for the door of escape. And there may be some people in this room, you need to make some adjustments in your life. You've been losing the battle with things that tempt you. Get with somebody that knows what they're talking about. And you can walk in victory and freedom and not have guilt on you and asking God to forgive you every five seconds. That's a whole nother sermon. Basically, the text is saying this. With temptation, there's a way of escape. Moses said that God gives us a choice between death or life. Therefore, choose life. So when you have temptation, take the exit ramp when you run across it. You know, if you're tempted with alcoholism, don't go to the liquor store to get a Coke. Just don't do that. Well, I can do it. I can do it. I heard of a, a story of a guy, a true story of a guy that uh, had a DWI, couldn't control his drinking, and got in trouble. 
So he did what he had to do to walk in soberness and not even have a sip. And after six months of sobriety, some friends persuaded him to go play pool. He said, oh, I better not. Oh, come on, you can just drink Coke. Okay, okay. And he's playing pool, and he's beating them because they're getting inebriated. He's whipping the socks off of them. Wasn't long till his pitcher of Coke was empty, and there was an ice-cold glass of beer in front of him. Well, I'll just have one. That's okay. Well, after the fifth one... He knew he was in trouble, so he better go home and got caught driving. Guess what? Back in jail. His way of escape was not to go to the place. Understand you have weaknesses. Look for the way of escape. So to say God won't put more on you than you can bear totally misses the point of the text. That statement doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from the Koran. I started to say Koran, but that's politically incorrect. God won't give you more than you can handle. I have four points today. Two things to beware of and two things to be aware of. Number one, beware of misquoted half-truths. Half-truths can mess you up in terms of your life and the need for wisdom and what the Word of God says. And there are plenty of people around the world mad at God because they believe the Bible says God won't put more on you than you can bear. Paul told a young minister, Timothy, in his second letter to him, chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of God gives us wisdom, the word of God gives us faith, and the word of God helps us make decisions, and the word of God can actually reduce the number of personal prayer requests in your life. There's one verse in the Bible that says in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. That verse alone can protect you from a lot of life's messes. People make huge decisions without seeking any counsel from anybody. Well, the friends that agree with me, I got counsel from them. No, find friends that are bold enough and love you enough to tell you the truth. Get some friends with a backbone. And not friends that are just jellyfish that tell you what you want to hear. That was free. In school, when you ever get hit with a pop quiz, oop, the teacher found out I haven't been studying. Guess what? The enemy of our soul has pop quizzes for us every day. And the Bible should guide our lives. I'm not telling you to read tons of scripture every day. Just read some scripture every day. Read until something speaks to you and stop reading and think about it. What speaks to you the rest of the day? You do that every day for a period of weeks, you're going to notice some changes. You're powerful. Example, Proverbs, 31 chapters, one for every day of a 31-day month. Read chapter 1 on the first of the month. Read chapter 2 on the second of the month. Each day, something's going to speak to you and impact your life. Beware of misquoted half-truths. Number two, beware of self-inflicted overload. Sometimes God gets blamed by our being overwhelmed, and it's our fault. We didn't pray about the decisions we made. We don't know how to say no to people that keep piling stuff on us. There's a story in the Bible of Christ visiting the home of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. 
And Martha was busy working in the kitchen, and Mary wasn't doing nothing except sitting at the feet of the Word of God made flesh, listening to eternal truths coming from His lips. How dare she do that? And so Martha comes in to complain, and Christ responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing, can we say one thing? One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. If lunch was a masterpiece, guess what? Tomorrow you're going to be hungry. But the word of the Lord lives and abides forever. Is lunch important? Yes, unless you're fasting. It is important. But first things first. That song, All I Need Is You, Lord, you know what that's really saying? God, all I need to put first in my life is you, and everything else will fall into order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Self-inflicted overload. Here's a painting of that scene that I discovered. I love it. It's kind of a watercolor. You see Martha in the kitchen just glaring at her sister. If you're overloaded, spend some quality time with Jesus. If you're faced with decisions or opportunities, whether or not to do this or do that, ask yourself the and or questions. Is this something I add to my life? I'm to do this and that? Or am I to do this or that? And prioritize your life with to-do lists. This is just practical. Sometimes our lives are a mess because we don't have any order. Make a to-do list. Get a sheet of paper and number it off 1 through 10 and write down everything you have to do and then Play around with them like a puzzle. All right, this ought to be number one. You can do this on a computer really easy, but just start a second sheet of paper and move the things around where they need to do and then tackle them and get them done. You'll find yourself not being so overwhelmed. And even make yourself a not-to-do list. Some of us are busy doing things really that don't matter. I could go somewhere with that one, but let's move right on. Be aware of what is the real truth. Watch this. You see the title? God won't give you more than you can handle. Here's the real truth. God will give you more than you can handle. That may disillusion you, but it's the truth. You may feel like this child. No! No! Paul, in describing his pursuit of God's will for his life, how overwhelming it was, he said, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I'm still here. Verse 10, Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in us. This is that good and bad thing. You've heard that guy say, my house burned down. That's bad. No, that's good. I had insurance. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. I wasted the money. Oh, that's bad. Oh, no, that's good. I found the perfect career. That's good. No, that's bad. The company went under. Well, that's bad. No, that's good. I actually am doing something better now. It's an unending thing. Here, To be hard-pressed on every side is bad, but not to be crushed is good. To be perplexed is bad, but not to be in despair is good. 
There's a bright side to hold on to no matter what you're walking through. And God, if you're pursuing His will at times in your life, thank God it's not every day, will lead you through tough times. I've asked Carl Kaspic to come and share a bit of their story. He and Julie have pastored churches from California to Maine and to various places in between. Carl, come right on. I turn it to you, my brother. I think the pastor ran out of video, so he decided to use a living illustration instead. (laughs) Cartoon wouldn't do this time, so it had to be the real thing, the real deal. But I can relate to what Pastor Allen has been talking about. Because for years, even in the ministry, I thought, hmm, that the temptation meant any trial I was going through, any hardship, any suffering. And I really didn't know what suffering meant until 1987 when we were pastoring in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, the church was doing quite well at the time, especially since we paid for breakfast for everybody to show up. Because our church met in a re- and upstairs at a restaurant, so the church decided we're going to pay for everybody to get a restaurant. We rapidly grew from 60 people to 280. And, uh, but anyway, then disaster happened. The church was forced to close. And the denomination we were with had nowhere to send us. I mean, there, can you imagine a huge denomination? They didn't have one church in the entire country to which they could send us to. I tried to find part-time work. But Rapid City had a large Air Force base outside, and pretty much all the jobs in town were part-time, and the Air Force dependents and even some of the Air Force uh, uh, military personnel were taking all the part-time jobs. I finally... Got a job. Well, I was told I could start work at McDonald's uh, at minimum wage, of course. Two hours a day, three days a week, and we lived 20-some miles away from that McDonald's. So you can see that I didn't get to take that because we didn't have the gas money to go 20 miles one way every single day or those days to work and get like eight bucks for the day. So, and we couldn't even get food stamps. Well, we could have. We went down to apply for food stamps, and the state told us, well, if you and your wife divorce, we can give her and the kids food stamps. But you've got to get a divorce. Divorce wasn't a part of our vocabulary. It's not a part of God's vocabulary. It happens. That doesn't mean it's a, it's a sin. Sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes things happen. But in our way at that point, Divorce wasn't an option. A church in town gave us $500. So we put everything that we owned, and I mean everything, all the kids' little knickknacks and things, you know, they made at school and the drawings you put on the refrigerator and all that. We had to put everything in storage. We were in escrow on a home, and we had to give that up. We had a car, and we had to have that turn that back to the bank. 
my thousand volume or more library that I'd gotten over the years from school and uh, Bible college and seminary and all that, it went into storage and all our appliances, furniture and all that. And we loaded up what we could, clothing, three kids and two dogs, packed it in a van and headed back east to some friends. And even there, we were separated as a family. Our youngest was with us and our two older kids were each with a different family. We only got to see them on Sunday morning services when their families came to the church. And I gave up. I'm telling you, I cried. I was mad. I was angry. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't. I vowed I would never step foot inside a pulpit ever again. But you can see that didn't happen. And I was mad at God, and I'm going, God, I got out of the Navy to serve you. I had 12 years in. I only had eight more to go. I'd retire. I'd have an income retirement, and you call me out. This is what happens. I should have just stayed in the Navy. And it was the first time I actually heard God's audible voice, and he goes, whoa, that I was back in Egypt. And it was another trip around the mountain. God taught me lessons through that. And I had people tell me, you know, the same thing. God will not let let you handle more than you can, give you more than you can handle. He's not going to do that. Yes, he did. I couldn't handle it. I said, God, I can't handle it. And he goes, yeah, that's what I want you to do. I don't want you to handle it. I want you to let me handle it. I'm your source, not you. I learned four quick things, lessons through that. There may be more lessons yet to learn from it, but I learned four. One, our faith needs to grow. And we only grow by sometimes having, being pruned. And pruning hurts. It hurts. David, real quick. Pastor mentioned David. You know, when David went to fight Goliath, he was only about 13 to 15 years of age. And we think of him going up and grabbing that sling and running down there towards the Goliath, and he did, to kill him. David didn't just all of a sudden get some kind of big Holy Ghost anointing and go do that. Oh, he had an anointing, don't get me wrong. But David learned from being pruned. David told Saul, he said, you know, when I was out tending my dad's sheep, I was faced with lions and bear. In fact, one of those lions I grabbed by the beard and killed him. I mean, we're talking a 12-year-old kid at this time. I have to imagine that when when David first faced his first lion or bear, I don't know about you, a 12-year-old facing a lion, Maybe that faith wasn't there quite as much. But as he was out there, he had learned to trust God. He had learned to develop his faith. You don't start out playing the piano and become a, take one lesson and play Carnegie Hall. You learn over a period of time. The second thing is that I learned is that self-reliance needs to die. Self-reliance needs to die. It needs to go. We're a country that likes to be independent people. We like to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. 
pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and go on no matter what happens to it. I can handle it. I'm a man. I can take care of my family. Sometimes you can't. I was preaching a sermon in one church, and my sermon was based on this. Self-reliance must give way to Christ-reliance. Independence must give way to Christ-dependence. And self-sufficiency must give way to to Christ-sufficiency. And there is no such scripture as God helps them that help themselves. And I looked out at the congregation. Every person in that congregation was flipping through the Bible trying to prove me wrong. And if you're looking right now, it ain't there. Don't bother flipping through your iPads or whatever. It's not there. So we need to know that we need to depend on him. There's no one else we can turn to. God says, don't handle it. He said... In this world, you will. He didn't say maybe. He didn't say there's a possibility. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trials. You will go through things. You will suffer. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He didn't expect you to overcome it. He says, I already did it. I paid the price for you to overcome it took me a long time to learn that. It took me years to get over that. Don't As the pastor said, find someone. And I'm going to put a little dig in here. Not a little dig, but an advertisement. If you're a man and you need, we got a men's group that will help you do that. we got people that will help pray with you and counsel you, the men who have gone through this. So I encourage you, guys, be a part of that. Be a part of that. The next thing I learned is our knowledge of God's character grows. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. God will never let you down. His love is strong enough to get you through any and every circumstance. You don't have to be like the rest of the world that when something bad happens to you, you fall apart all over the place. I lost my job. The company closed. Everything's going. You can, well, I'm not saying you were happy. Oh, yippee. But you have a joy and a peace about it because you know God is with you. And in the end, you win. No matter what happens, he's there. And finally... What we have is that I learned that in and through it all, I can't pick myself up. And all the glory has to go to God. I can't take credit for any of it. I didn't want to go back to church. I didn't want to step foot in it. I certainly didn't want to preach anymore because I felt like I was such a hypocrite. I was out teaching people that God will get you through it or that God will... Not give you anything more. I tell you, it took years, but God showed me in that lesson that I really needed to give him the glory. I really needed to allow him to see me through it. I really needed him. It's no longer I that lives, Paul said, but Christ that lives in me. So when you're with someone... And they're sharing their trials and their problems they're going through. You have a golden opportunity of what you've gone through. If you don't have trouble, 
Just wait a day or so. It'll find you. You don't need to go looking for it. But when you're with someone who's struggling, just be with them. Just love on them. Pray victory in their lives. Don't give them the platitudes. God won't give you more than you can handle. Or when God closes the door, he opens the window. In Hebrews 13.3, it says, Remember those who are in prison. Uh, they were talking about someone's in prison, but I got news for you. When you're going through a trial and a tribulation and a problem and you're suffering or your family's suffering, you're in a type of prison. The enemy's trying to bind you up. He's trying to handcuff you. He's trying to put you there and not let you out. But it says, remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Remember those who are suffering as though you are suffering as they are. In other words, be sympathetic. Be be with them. Understand what they're going through. Don't give the platitudes, oh, I know what you're going through. Because you don't. You don't. You may have gone through something almost exactly like it, but you don't know exactly what they're going through. Don't give them that, but just be there and love them as Christ loves the church, as Christ loves you. And as you go through your trial, remember, God doesn't say... He won't give us more than we can handle, but he does allow us to experience those trials, those temptations and sufferings that are more than we can handle because he desires to handle them for us and grow us in him. And all we need to do is step aside and allow him to do that which only he can do. He's a big God. And admit to yourself, because he is a big God, God, I can't handle this. But you're big enough to handle it for me. You're there. You're a big God who's bigger than all my problems. And you'll take me through it. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. God will give you more than you can handle. He won't give you more than he can handle. Let's stand. Lord, may your word bring life to our life. And may we surrender our life to your will. Lord, I pray for every person here. Line us with your will. Give us courage to follow you no matter what. And, Lord, I pray for that person that's wrestling with surrendering to you because they don't want to risk hard times. Give them courage to trust you today to be obedient to your will. And, Lord, I pray for that person that is getting out of the boat of the past and out of the safe place of their comfort zones to pursue your will, Lord, I pray that this word would bring life to them in such a way that should they meet something unexpected, 
that, they'll trust you and they'll grow through that. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for bringing Carl and Julie through that and uh, many of us in this room through all sorts of stuff. Lord, give us the grace and the wisdom to encourage those who are in difficult times now in their life. Lord, I pray for those of us that are experiencing hard times because of self-inflicted issues. Lord, I thank you that you're not shocked by the decisions we made and the place we're in. Lord, may we cry out to you to find grace to help in the time of need and stop blaming you and stop blaming ourselves, but to trust in your imputed righteousness to reveal to us your perfect plan where you're able to take those mistakes and use them as stepping stones towards your will in our life. In Jesus' name.